All right, well, good morning. Good to see you all. Can I return with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14? This morning we want to pick it up in verse 22. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. It had been a long, hard day for the Lord Jesus Christ. It began with the news that John, his second cousin, had been beheaded by Herod. Upon hearing that news, and for various other reasons, Jesus told his disciples to get into the boat that they might cross over from the northwest side of the lake to the northeast side where there was a deserted place where they could get a little alone time and some rest. Of course, as we learned last time, it didn't work out that way. Crowds saw them in the boat and knew where they were headed. So the crowds ran around the northern part of the lake and got there first. And when Jesus and his guys landed there uh, in the area of Bethesda, um, or excuse me, Bethsaida, that um, there was about fifteen to 20,000 people waiting for them. And Jesus ministered to them. I mean, he was all about people. And uh, he healed their sick. Mark tells us he taught them many things about the kingdom. And then, you know, as we studied last time, late in the afternoon now, we're approaching dinner time, the disciples came to the Lord and said, Lord, you know, you better send them away because there's no food here. Uh, send them off to the villages and towns around here that they can buy something to eat. And Jesus said, we don't need to send them away. You give them something to eat. <laughs> Us, you know, you just hear these guys, right? Us, we've got nothing. All we got is a a sack lunch that was brought by a young boy. He gave it to us, but it only has, you know, five barley biscuits and a couple of small pickled fish. I mean, that's nothing compared to a crowd like this. And as we studied last time, Jesus took that little bit of food and used it to feed all those people until they were stuffed, the Greek says. And his disciples gathered up 12 baskets full of fragments from what had not been used. And then immediately, so we pick it up in verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and cross the Sea of Galilee back to the place where they started, the northwest uh, side of the lake around the area of Capernaum. And John tells us in his gospel that Jesus wanted to dismiss the multitudes quickly because he knew what they were thinking. They wanted to take him by force and make him king right there. Why? Well, they figured if he was king, he'd do this kind of thing all the time, right? And free food back then, like today, is a reason for many people to vote for you. <laughs> However, Jesus Christ will not limit himself to being king of our stomachs. In other words, he won't be the God of the practical only. A lot of people would like God just to supply their physical needs, but no more. Jesus Christ wants to be king, but not just of our stomachs, of our whole lives. And either he is Lord of all, or he is not going to be Lord at all. So we have to understand that. But there's something to think about here. Did Jesus know a storm was coming? Now we're going to find that a storm overtakes these guys. The question is, did Jesus Christ know the storm was coming? And the answer, of course, is yes. Well, then that means he deliberately sent these men into a storm. Why? Well, Jesus had his reasons. 
all the storms that we face in the Christian life are designed by God to serve a purpose. And we're going to look at what some of those purposes are in a moment. But right now, very important point, it's only important that we understand that they found themselves in this terrible storm, listen, because they were in the will of God and not because they were outside the will of God. Many Christians have the mistaken idea that obedience to God will produce blue skies and smooth sailing. Uh, that's not really true. Jesus told us in John 16, verse 33, to his disciples, he said, In the world you're going to have what? Tribulation. Be of good sure I've overcome the world. He is saying, I've never promised you uh, an easy life. I've never promised you freedom from hardships and painful circumstances if you follow me and even obey me. So Jesus told his disciples to go across the Sea of Galilee knowing what was coming while he went up onto a mountain by himself. And when the disciples got about halfway across, suddenly gale-like winds came out of nowhere. And Matthew tells us that the boat was tossed by the waves. The Greek means tortured or tormented by the waves. This was a real terrifying storm. And you have to realize these were seasoned fishermen. These were not novices. They had been through many storms in the Sea of Galilee in the past. But this one, something about this storm really had them shook. This was a storm of storms, a terrifying storm. Now, I have to give the disciples some credit. Because instead of turning the boat loose and just letting it be driven by the wind, they fought it. Why did they keep fighting the storm? Because Jesus Christ had commanded them to go to the other side, and they wanted to obey what the Lord had commanded them to do. Folks, that's called perseverance, and it's a good thing. We ought to give up too easily. Now here these guys wanted to obey their Lord. They wanted to do what he had said. And so they wanted to persevere. That's a good lesson for all of us. Sometimes when the storms of life hit, we want to give up. And the Lord wants us to hang in there. He wants us to persevere. Now, while they were going through this, Jesus was up on the mountain. John tells us in his gospel that the Passover was near, which meant that there was a full moon. Mark tells us in his gospel that from where Jesus Christ was sitting on that mountain, he could see the disciples out in the lake struggling against the storm. Remember now, this was a windstorm, not a rainstorm with clouds. You say, well, what was the Lord doing up on that mountain? Well, Matthew tells us he was praying, and no doubt praying for them. So here we have the disciples fighting for their lives out in the Sea of Galilee, while Jesus is sitting up on the mountain watching the whole thing unfold. You might be thinking, that seems like a cruel test. Guys, it was actually a controlled test. Don't forget that. Our whole Christianity consists of nothing but a series of tests. But they're all controlled tests. Nothing gets out of the hands of God. Nothing spins out of His control. He is in complete control. He is watching everything in His sovereignty. This is a picture, listen to me, of when the Lord Jesus Christ ascended back to his Father's kingdom, the mountain. And what is he doing for us? He ever lives now to make what? Intercession for us. So this is a little picture of how Jesus Christ is up on the mountain, the kingdom of heaven, watching us, and he is praying for us. You think we're going to go under if the Lord Jesus Christ says go over? You better believe we're not going under. And so this whole thing was taking place under the watchful, prayerful 
eyes of Jesus. He knew exactly what was going on and how much they could endure. And just about the time they thought all hope was gone, that they were not going to make it through the storm alive, guess what? He comes walking out to them on the water. To those who don't know God, this incident seems at best like a meaningless experience for the disciples to have been put through. And at worst, it seems like a, an example of a cruel, sadistic God putting these poor disciples through this storm for his own twisted amusement, simply to enjoy watching them struggle for their lives. And folks, that's a lot of, a lot of unbelievers have that concept about God. They believe that God is a cruel, vindictive God. Why do they believe that? Because they look around the world. They hear us say as Christians, our God is all-powerful, all-loving. Yet when they look out into the world, they see the suffering. They see the injustice. They see the children being born with deformities. They see all this evil going on. And they say, you know what? If he is real, if he does exist, he must be a cruel, sadistic God. And life must be a big joke to him for us because he's sitting up in heaven watching us. If he could do something about it and he's not, he must be enjoying watching us suffer. A lot of people have that concept about God. Of course, for those of us who know God, who believe that He is a God of love, we know that there are no meaningless experiences in life and that everything God allows in our lives is for an ultimate purpose. But I'll tell you this, what this incident does force us to do as believers is to consider why God would send His children deliberately into storms. A storm could be any trial, tribulation, problem, painful circumstance that we find ourselves battling in life, just like the disciples were battling this literal storm out in the Sea of Galilee. In some ways, it was a metaphor for the storms we face in life that we battle against. And we're giving it our all. As Christians, we're struggling. We're fighting. We want to obey the Lord. We want to do what He has commanded us to do. We find ourselves feeling weary, beaten down, helpless and hopeless, feeling like, you know what? We're just not going to make it. I think for too many of us as Christians, if we had our way, we'd only choose blue skies and smooth sailing in life. I guess that makes us fair weather Christians, doesn't it? But all sunshine makes a desert. We need storms in our lives. They're not pleasant, but they are necessary because they grow us. They force us to go deeper into our walk and relationship with God and they alone can help produce in our lives the fruit that God wants us to bear. And part of that fruit is the fruit of perseverance, as we said. Now, I'd like to divide this study into two parts. First of all, a lesson in the perfection of faith. And secondly, a look at the purpose of storms. And I want to take the first one today, a lesson in the perfection of faith. I like to kind of look at and develop the narrative here in Matthew 14. And then next week... I'd like us to look at some of the lessons that we can glean from why God allows and even sends us into the storms of life. Some very important lessons. Storms, this one was literal, but allegorically we all face storms. And God will use them, even send us into them for His purposes. What are those purposes? Well, we'll look at that next time. But for this morning, let's develop the narrative and glean what it is the Holy Spirit wants to teach us from this story. And remember, now you've got to get the details in your mind if you're going to fully understand what lesson the Holy Spirit is trying to teach you and me. So once again, Jesus sends his disciples out into the Sea of Galilee knowing a storm was coming. As I said, it was Passover time, John tells us, which means there was a full moon. Passover always happened at the time of the full moon. 
The Jews were on a lunar calendar, not a solar one. So it was Passover time, meant there was a full moon out, and therefore enough light to see them struggling on the lake in the storm. And again, it was a windstorm, not a thunderstorm, because a thunderstorm would have had clouds that would have blocked out the light of the moon, made it too hard for the Lord to see them. But um, while they were uh, going through this, Jesus, as I said, was up on the mountain watching and praying for them. Listen, testing, and as we're going to see, perfecting their faith in him. Now, if you remember back in Matthew chapter 8, these disciples also encountered a pretty fierce storm on the Sea of Galilee. But in that story, Jesus Christ, remember, was in the boat. He had fallen asleep. So he was with them in the boat during this test of faith, right? Now where is he? He's outside the boat. He's not with them. At least they think he's not really with them. He was watching the whole thing. He was with them in spirit, right? But they thought he was completely out of the picture. And so this was a test of their faith that went beyond the first one. First he was with them physically. Now he's not with them. That's kind of us, right? He was literally with these men. But he's not with us physically. Although he is with us, how? Through his spirit. I'm not going to leave you alone like orphans, he said, when I go away. I'm going to send to you another helper. Even the spirit of truth who will abide with you how long? Forever. So he's with us in spirit. He knows exactly what we're going through. It's not like when you're going through these raging storms in your life that you look around and go, God, where are you? He'd say, right here, right here. Haven't gone anywhere. Told you I was never going to leave or forsake you. So verse 25, as we kind of pick up the narrative. Now when the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. The first watch of the night is from 6 p.m. to 9. Second from 9 p.m. to 12 midnight. Third watch from 12 to 3 a.m. The fourth watch, of course, then was 3 a.m. to 6. So he comes to them during the fourth watch of the night, meaning it was sometime after 3 a.m. And by this time, they had been struggling on that lake for at least six hours. Think about that for a minute. Can you imagine fighting for your life in a raging storm for six hours? I mean, no doubt these guys were physically exhausted. They were probably sick, literally sick. And they had given up all hope by this time that they were ever going to get through this alive. When all of a sudden, here comes Jesus Christ walking toward them on the water. You know, often we feel like the Lord has deserted us when we're going through hard times. And he'll let us struggle, you know, until we come to the end of ourselves. When we feel like, you know, we're exhausted, we're sick, okay, sick and tired, basically. We're just, we're sick, we're, we, we feel all hope is gone, whatever the situation might be. And we think, Lord, where are you? You know, do you care about me at all? I mean, I mean, where are you, Lord? I'm praying, you're not saying anything, you're not doing anything. And they felt like all hope was gone until right at that moment, Jesus comes walking to them on the water. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever gone through a situation where it just beat you down and it kept going until finally you just felt like there's no way out? Financially, physically, marital issues, whatever it might be, you just felt like, Lord, that's it. You know, you, you're not here. You've, you've abandoned me. I'm praying. You're not listening. You're not doing anything. And Lord, I just feel like that's it. It's, all, it's done. You know? And just about the time you think all hope is gone, here comes Jesus walking to you. He comes to meet you. 
in whatever way he did that. You know, in the Psalms, David often complained. (laughs) David was often exhausted, tired from running from Saul and so on. But in the Psalms, we hear David often complain that God seemed far away and unconcerned. And yet he always stops himself, doesn't he? After he kind of feels sorry for himself, you know, and he's going on and on about, you know, God doesn't care, God doesn't listen, you know, and so on and so forth. And then he stops himself. We do the same thing, right? We start, you know, God, you don't care. We stop ourselves after a while, like David. And David went on and said, Lord, I know you're with me. I I know you're going to take care of this. You know, we have to, it's okay to talk to yourself, by the way. If you argue with yourself, that's a problem. Uh, you can talk to yourself and encourage yourself. David said, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Don't you hope in God? He's going to get us through this. What are you worried about? Jesus always comes to us in the, storm of, in the storms of life. Isaiah 43, verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Now, here's the thing. He usually doesn't come to rescue us from whatever it is we're going through when we think he should. This is the problem, isn't it? We have a timetable, all right? God, hurry up. I mean, Lord, there's not much time left. I'm going down. And, you know, and, and, we, and we, you know, we, we have a set time when we think God should work. And God purposely waits for our timetable to run out when we think all hope is gone. And that's when he intervenes, when we need him the most. He waited until they were about halfway across the Sea of Galilee. Now, think about that. They were about halfway across. So they were as far from land as they could possibly have been. Which meant, you know how it is when you're in a situation like that, I would imagine to see shore? That would greatly encourage you. Oh, not too far. We can make it. No, they're completely in the middle there. And as far from shore as they could possibly have been. So that meant all hope. I mean, all hope for them, it seemed to be over with. But he was testing the disciples' faith. See, that's what God does when he puts our backs against the wall and we think all hope is gone. What we're really saying is all hope in my strength is gone. All hope in my ingenuity is gone. All hope in my resourcefulness to figure this situation out is gone. Listen to me carefully. God wants to build your faith, not your resourcefulness. It is not by power nor by might. Your strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And when we come to the end of ourselves, now we're forced to look to God, and that's when he worked because he wants to get all the glory. Now, why did Jesus walk on the water? To show his disciples that the very thing they feared at that moment, which was the sea, was nothing more than the bridge that Jesus used to come to them. Now listen. I know that for some people going through a real difficult time, that sounds like one of those little pious platitudes that we pastors throw out from time to time, you know, and move on as if that's going to fix everything. Oh, yeah, okay. The sea, you know, there's the bridge that Jesus used to come to them. Well, that doesn't help me too much. But guys, listen to me. It's not a pious platitude. It is Christianity 101. Look, God wants to come to you and me in a way that will deepen our faith in him. Deepen our awareness of who He is. He only can do that through the storms. It's through the storms that our faith has grown, that our relationship with Him has deepened. It's not a pious platitude to say whatever you're going through, look, it can either make you bitter or better. It can either either drive you from God or could, could cause you to open your arms and say, God, I need you. And allow Him to come to you in a way that 
You've never experienced him before. That's what these tests are designed to do. You know, often we fear difficult experiences of life. And they can be pretty severe. When you talk about physical sickness or financial a hardship or the loss of somebody you love very much, these things can really hit us hard. They're a major storm. And again, they can either drive you from God, which many have been driven away from God because of one of these storms of life. Or they can cause you to say, God, I don't know what's going on here, but I know one thing. I need you now more than ever. And it can drive you to him. It's up to you and me what we choose to do with the storms of life. They're going to come. They're going to come. He has not promised us that he would keep us from all storms. So when they come, we have a choice. Are we going to receive it, even though we don't like it, but receive it and grow through it and get to know him more? Or are we going to turn away from him? Now, in verse 26, we read, When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. Great men of faith. And they cried out for, listen, fear, fear. Why didn't they recognize it was Jesus? Because fear had gripped their hearts. Fear will always blind you and me from the presence of God, who is trying to come to us through the circumstance. But if we're not looking for Jesus, we're not looking for him to come to us, he comes in the midst of those storms. And I'll tell you what, if we're not looking for him, if fear has gripped our hearts, it's going to blind us to his coming. I mean, again, they should have been looking for Jesus to come. Why? Because he said cross over and they felt they were about to go under. So if he told us to cross over, we've tried our best. We can't make it. Where is he? We expect him to show up at any time to give us the rest of the way. But they didn't see it that way. See, fear and faith cannot live in the same heart. Because fear will always blind us to the presence of the Lord. In verse 27 we read, But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, I love what it says he said actually in the Greek language. In the Greek he said, Be of good cheer, I am. Do not be afraid. In other words, don't be afraid, cheer up. Remember me, the great I am? Of course, that was the name of God, right? I've got everything under control. We forget that, don't we? Who do we serve? Who is our Father in heaven? He is the great I Am. I mean, the Lord spoke the universe into existence with the word of His power. He holds it all together with that same word. Don't you think He can help you and I out of the little crisis that we're going through? We forget that, you know? We get terrified. And when he does come to us, we don't always recognize at first who he is or what he wants to do. And we let fear grip our hearts. And he says, why are you afraid? Don't you know who I am? I'm the great I am. Verse 28, and Peter answered him and said, now, this is, a, this is kind of strange to me. Because Peter does something a little, a little odd here. Peter answered and said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, some people have gotten on Peter for this. They say he was being presumptuous. And certainly, we need to be careful that we don't act presumptuously as Christians and call it faith. That's true. But the Lord never encourages presumption. And yet, 
Here he encourages Peter to come to him. That tells me the Lord will always encourage genuine steps of faith. He wants us to walk in faith. No, not presumption, not cockiness, not arrogance, not putting him to a foolish test. But if it's genuine faith designed to draw you closer to him, then you know what? He always encourages those genuine steps of faith. In verse 30, we read, But when Peter, when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? I think the Lord Jesus Christ was gently and lovingly reproving Peter here. I think he's saying to Peter, Peter, what went wrong? Okay, what went wrong? You were doing so well. Why did you stop trusting and start doubting? You know, I believe that question was designed to cause Peter to examine why he failed so that he could learn and do better next time. You know, as I said earlier, our Christian life consists of a series of tests designed to stretch our faith, to make it stronger. And if we fail one of those tests along the way, and guys, we're going to fail many tests along the way. But when we fail one of those tests of faith, you know what? The Lord doesn't condemn us. He sits us down, right? And he uses the opportunity to say something along these lines. Okay, what do you think went wrong here? I mean, you were doing good for a while. You were walking in faith. My power was upon you. But then you fell down. Why do you think that happened? Well, I'll tell you why it happened. Because it's right here in the story. Why did Peter sink for the same reason we all sink when we start stepping out in faith? He started to do well as he kept his eyes on Jesus. But then, at one point, his circumstances got the best of him. Of course, we've never been there, I'm sure. But when you, you know, step out in faith and begin to do the impossible through his strength and grace, if you don't continue to keep your eyes on him, guess what? If you take your eyes off of him and begin to look at the circumstance, the enormity, the impossibility of what you're doing, causes us to begin to sink. In other words, we want to give up and quit. God wants us to face our fears. God wants us to have faith. and You can't have faith in fear. So one of them has to go. And Jesus wants to build our faith so that fear is dispelled. So that means you have to face your fears in His strength. If I listened to my fears, I wouldn't be here today. Because as most of you know, When God called me to be a pastor, I thought, Lord, are you kidding me? Talking in front of people? I can't talk in front of people, Lord, you know. Ever since I was in elementary school and I had to stand before the class and give a report, I would choke up. My heart would start pounding. I'd get an anxiety attack. I couldn't talk in front of... I can't talk in front of people, Lord. I'll be with you. I'd like to tell you that helps me, but I'm, I'm terrified. But you know what? I believe God was in it. And so I had a choice. I could face my fears with his strength or I could quit. And I decided, God, if you're with me and you'll give me the strength, I'll take steps in faith every week. Every week it was a step in faith. Every week. And there were times when right before I'd have to come up here, to, not here, I mean, I'm going back now, okay, many years, but many times back then, as I was about ready to go up to start the message, my heart would be pounding. My, my mouth would be so dry I couldn't even talk. And I was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And then you know what came into my mind? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
and by faith I stepped up to the podium and suddenly God's calmness came upon me and his power to do what I couldn't do. That's ministry. That's ministry. We have to face our fears and God will be with us. And so Peter started out pretty well but then didn't finish so hot. So Jesus lifted him up out of the sea. They were at came to the boat, got in, and Jesus said to Peter, Peter, oh, you have a little faith. Why did you doubt? You had a little faith. You were able to start, but you didn't finish so well. Now, people want to come down on Peter again. Oh, Peter, you know, they, you know, gets out there and can't finish what he starts. Uh, you know, just, that's Peter. Look, Jesus said to Peter, oh, ye of what? Little faith. Hey, a little faith is better than no faith. Okay, a little faith is better than no faith. At least Peter was willing to attempt the impossible. And for a while he did it, which is more than can be said for the 11 other apostles who stayed in the boat and played it safe. Let's not get too hard on Peter. At least he tried to do something for God that was impossible. For a while he succeeded, got his eyes up, the Lord began to sink. Hey, that's all about learning lessons in faith. We're going to fail. It doesn't matter how many times you fail. It just matters that the last time you fail, you don't quit. You keep moving forward. But Peter didn't play it safe like a lot of other people do. Listen to what one author said, and I quote. He said, all of us are would-be water walkers. And God did not intend for his children created in his divine image to go through life in a desperate attempt to avoid failure. The boat is safe, the boat is secure, and the boat is comfortable. The water is high, the waves are rough, the wind is strong, and the night is dark. A storm is out there. And if you get out of your boat, you may sink. But if you don't get out of your boat, you will never walk, because if you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. There is something, someone, capital S, inside us that tells us our lives are about something more than sitting in the boat. Something that wants to walk on water. Something that calls us to leave the routine of comfortable existence and abandon ourselves in this adventure of following Christ, end quote. Verse 33, when those who were in the boat came, uh, they, they were at the other side, And then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This whole experience, guys, strengthened their faith by elevating their awareness of who he was. And as their understanding of his person and his power was expanded, the result was their worship was deepened. Now, I have to add a little bit of a caveat here. God wants us to know him as much as is humanly possible, but there is a limit, isn't there? There is no way we can understand with our little finite thimble brains the vastness of God whose presence fills the universe. You try to fill, you try to take all the oceans of the world, which represent the knowledge of God, and pour them into a little thimble brain like mine, there's going to be a lot of spillage. There's a lot about God. We're never going to be able to know this side of glory. Someday I'm going to see him as he is. I'm going to know him even as I am known. 
But right now we have to take a lot by faith. But God wants us to know Him as much as we can know Him. And He's always about building our faith and understanding of Him. The problem is, some people, if they can't understand God fully, they don't want to follow Him at all. Because they say, look, I don't understand what God did here. I don't understand what God did over there. Until I can understand what He does, I'm not going to follow Him. Well, that's a problem. Because as J.B. Phillips said, who gave us a very good translation of the New Testament, Phillips said, if God was small enough to understand, He wouldn't be big enough to worship. So we have to have the balance, right? We want to know Him. Paul said after 30 years of walking with Him in Philippians 3, I want to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. 30 years, Paul. You don't know Him now? By this time, yes, I want to know Him ever deeper. I want to know Him more. And that's a lifelong pursuit. But you're never going to know God fully. And so if that's what you're thinking, it's not going to happen. So we have to take it by faith. Now listen, as we bring this to a close, as I said in Matthew 8, Jesus Christ allowed them to go through another storm to build their faith. And of course, in that storm, he calmed the storm. And when he did that, they said to themselves, who can this be that even the wind and sea obeys him? But now... They said, truly, you are the Son of God. See how their faith was growing? Look, guys, the Christian life, like walking on water, is impossible. It can only be lived in the power of the Holy Spirit, which means you've got to abide in Christ. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, that's how you've got to approach your life every day. Because the Christian life is not a hard life. It's an impossible life unless Jesus lives his life through us. And that won't happen except through the power of the Spirit, through our faith. And the reason Peter could walk on water, and the reason he could be assured that it was okay for him to walk on water is because he asked the Lord. And what did Jesus say in verse 29? Lord, can I come walk in thee on the water? What did Jesus say? Come. Come. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. If you're going to do something for the Lord, make sure that it's something that it lines up with His Word. So a lot of people who are doing a lot of things and calling it faith, it's not faith. It's presumption. When I hear uh, true stories of pastors who have congregations of 250 people but decide that because they want a congregation of 5,000, they're going to take a step in faith and go ahead and buy a complex, okay, we're going to walk by faith. We're going to just trust God to pay for it and, and, and remodel it. We're going to, you know, and if you build it, they will come mentality, okay? And they bankrupt their churches and bring reproach in the name of Christ. Make sure you don't call presumption faith. But I'm saying to you, God in these last days wants to do miracles through his people. He wants us to take steps in faith. But we have to make sure that they are consistent with what he has said. And as long as we keep our eyes on Jesus, keep trusting in his word and relying on the power of his spirit, guess what? We're going to be able to do the impossible. We're going to be able to walk on water, metaphorically speaking, whatever that is that you're going through. But the minute we become occupied with self or our circumstances and we take our eyes off of Jesus, then we're going to sink. And this happens, you know, and, and this is one of the reasons why so many Christians are sinking in their faith and not walking on water or doing the impossible. It's because 
the church is populated and pastors have promoted a thinking that goes like this, it's all about me. It's a very man-centered approach to Christianity. It's not about the cross anymore. It's about what God's going to, denying myself, following after Jesus. It's all about what God's going to do for me. That's my Christian. That's a lot of people's uh, concept of Christianity. It's all about what God is. I'll be a Christian because God's going to then bless me and give to me and do for me. They come to God saying, Lord, what are you going to do for me today? Instead of saying, Lord, here's your servant. What do you want me to do for you today? But guys, the more we get our eyes on ourselves, the more we begin to sink in our walk. We have to become Christ-centered, Christ-focused. Because only then are we going to be able to have the power of God upon us, and he's going to be able then to use us. And once again, when it comes to serving the Lord, it's much easier to stay in the boat. The boat represents the safety and security of our homes, our churches. It's, you know, do you ever get tired of reading? Do you ever get tired of living vicariously through other people's faith? I love biographies. I love biographies of great men and women of God. I love to see how they walk with God, the lessons and the steps of faith they took. But, you know, after a while, it leaves you kind of empty inside. Because I get tired of living vicariously through other people's experiences with God. I want to have those experiences in my own life. Taste and see that the Lord is what? So, you know, you can't taste a picture of a meal no matter how good it looks on paper. You've got to experience it firsthand to know how good it is. Same is true with us. It's great. And my faith is strengthened when I read the accounts of great men and women of God who took steps in faith. And I think, you know what, if they can do it, why can't I do that for the Lord? But if that's all you do is live through other people's experiences, it's going to be very empty and unsatisfying. Listen, comfortable Christianity is safe, but it's not very exciting or fulfilling or fruitful. So may God give us grace that we learn from this story that, look, no matter what we're going through, he's with us. And he encourages us to take steps in faith. And you know what? Like Peter discovered, often he encourages us to take steps in faith in the midst of the storms. Because when he's got our attention and we're not trying to play it safe, we're more open to taking a step in faith to do whatever he wants us to do. So may God give us grace. I pray this year would be a year where we're all willing to say, God, I don't know what you've got for me, but I'm, I'm kind of tired of hanging out in the boat. I want to step out, Lord. I want to do something new for you. I want to do something that I couldn't possibly do in my own strength. May God give us grace by his spirit to do that very thing. Father, we thank you so much for the lessons that you have placed here for our learning. They're basic. They're important. But, Lord, we need grace to apply them. So, Father, we pray that you would bless us this year by giving us grace, Lord, to take new steps of faith, not out of presumption, but out of obedience to your word. And we just praise you, Lord. We thank you that you never, you never forsake us or leave us or abandon us. In the midst of those storms, you want to use them to come to us in a way that you've never come to us before, that we might know you in a deeper way and worship you in a deeper way. So, Father, thank you. We ask all this now in Jesus' precious name. Amen.